Chapter 20 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rucker, November 13, 2021, Westford, Massachusetts. Consuelo by Georges Sand. Chapter 20. Encouraged by Consuelo's frankness and by the faithless Correa's perfidy to present himself once more in public, Anzaletto began to work vigorously, so that at the second representation of Empermnestra he sang much better. But as the success of Consuelo was proportionably greater, he was still dissatisfied and began to feel discouraged by this confirmation of his inferiority. Everything from this moment wore a sinister aspect. It appeared to him that they did not listen to him, that the spectators who were near him were making humiliating observations upon his singing, and that benevolent amateurs who encouraged him behind the scenes did so with an air of pity. Their praises seemed to have a double meaning, of which he applied the less favorable to himself. Correa, whom he went to consult in her box between acts, pretended to ask him with a frightened air if he were not ill. Why, he said impatiently, because your voice is dull and you seem overcome. Dear Anzaletto, strive to regain your powers, which were paralyzed by fear or discouragement. Did I not sing my first air well? Not half so well as on the first occasion. My heart sank so that I found myself on the point of fainting. But the audience applauded me nevertheless. Alas, what does it signify? I was wrong to dispel your illusion. Continue then, but endeavor to clear your voice. Consuelo, thought he, meant to give me good advice. She acts from instinct and succeeds. But where could I gain the experience which would enable me to restrain the unruly public? In following her counsel, I lose my own natural advantages, and they reckon nothing on the improvement of my style. Come, let me return to my early confidence. At my first appearance at the Count's, I saw that I could dazzle those whom I failed to persuade. Did not old Popora tell me that I had the blemishes of genius? Come then, let me bend this public to my dictation and make it bow to the yoke. He exerted himself to the utmost, achieved wonders in the second act, and was listened to with surprise. Some clapped their hands, others imposed silence, while the majority inquired whether it were sublime or detestable. A little more boldness and Anzaletto might perhaps have won the day, but this reverse affected him so much that he became confused and broke down shamefully in the remainder of his part. At the third representation, he had resumed his confidence and resolved to go on in his own way. Not heeding the advice of Consuelo, he hazarded the wildest caprices, the most daring absurdities. Cries of, oh, shame, mingled with hisses once or twice interrupted the silence with which these desperate attempts were received. The good and generous public silenced the hisses and began to applaud, but it was easy to perceive the kindness was for the person, the blame for the artist. 
Anzaletto tore his dress on re-entering his box, and scarcely had the representation terminated than he flew to Korea, a prey to the deepest rage, and resolved to fly with her to the ends of the earth. Three days passed without his seeing Consuelo. She inspired him neither with hatred nor coldness, but merely with terror, for in the depths of a soul pierced with remorse, he still cherished her image and suffered cruelly from not seeing her. He felt the superiority of a being who overwhelmed him in public with her superiority, but who secretly held possession of his confidence and his goodwill. In his agitation, he betrayed to Correa how truly he was bound to his noble-hearted betrothed and what an empire she held over his mind. Correa was mortified, but knew how to conceal it. She pitied him, elicited a confession, and so soon as she had learned the secret of his jealousy, she struck a grand blow by making Zustiniani aware of their mutual affection thinking that the Count would immediately acquaint Consuelo and thus render a reconciliation impossible. Surprised to find another day pass away in the solitude of her garret, Consuelo grew uneasy, and as still another day of mortal anguish and vain expectation drew to its close, she wrapped herself in a thick mantle, for the famous singer was no longer sheltered by her obscurity, and ran to the house occupied for some weeks by Anzaletto, a more comfortable abode than what he had before enjoyed, and one of the numerous houses which the Count possessed in the city. She did not find him, and learned that he was seldom there. This did not enlighten her as to his infidelity. She knew his wandering and poetic habits, and thought that, not feeling at home in these sumptuous abodes, he had returned to his old quarters, she was about to continue her search when, on returning to pass the door a second time, she found herself face to face with Porpora. Consuelo, he said in a low voice, it is useless to hide from me your features. I have just heard your voice and cannot be mistaken in it. What do you hear at this hour, my poor child, and whom do you seek in this house? I seek my betrothed, replied Consuelo, while she passed her arm within that of her old master, and I do not know why I should blush to confess it to my best friend. I see very well that you disapprove of my attachment, but I could not tell an untruth. I am unhappy. I have not seen Anzaletto since the day before yesterday at the theater. He must be unwell. He unwell? said the professor, shrugging his shoulders. Come, my poor girl, we must talk over this matter, and since you have at last opened your heart to me, I must open mine also. Give me your arm. We can converse as we go along. Listen, Consuelo, and attend earnestly to what I say. You cannot, you ought not, to be the wife of this young man. I forbid you in the name of God, who has inspired me with the feelings of a father toward you. Oh, my master, replied Consuelo mournfully, ask of me the sacrifice of my life, but not that of my love. I do not ask it, I command it, said Porpora firmly. The lover is accursed. 
he will prove your torment and your shame if you do not forswear him forever. Dear master, replied she with a sad and tender smile, you have told me so very often I have endeavored in vain to obey you. You dislike this poor youth. You do not know him, and I am certain you will alter your mind. Consuelo, said the master more decidedly, I have till now, I know, made vain and useless objections. I spoke to you as an artist, and as to an artist as I only saw one in your betrothed. Now I speak to you as a man. I speak to you of a man, and I dress you as a woman. This woman's love is wasted. The man is unworthy of it. And he who tells you so knows he speaks the truth. Oh, heavens, Anzaletto, my only friend, my protector, my brother, unworthy of my love. Ah, you do not know what he has done for me, how he has cared for me since I was left alone in the world. I must tell you all. And Consuelo related the history of her life and of her love, and it was one and the same history. Porpora was affected, but not shaken from his purpose. In all this, said he, I see nothing but your innocence, your virtue, your fidelity. As to him, I see very well that he has need of your society and your instructions, to which, whatever you may think, he owes the little that he knows and the little he is worth. It is not, however, the less true that this pure and upright lover is no better than a castaway, that he spends his time and money in low dissipation and only thinks of turning you to the best account in forwarding his career. Take heed to what you say, replied Consuelo in suffocating accents. I have always believed in you, O oh my master, after God. But as to what concerns Anzaletto, I have resolved to close my heart and my ears. Ah, suffer me to leave you, she added, taking her arm from the professor. It is death to listen to you. Let it be death, then, to your fatal passion, and through the truth let me restore you to life, he said, pressing her arm to his generous and indignant breast. I know that I am rough, Consuelo. I cannot be otherwise, and therefore it is that I have put off as long as I could the blow which I am about to inflict. I had hoped that you would open your eyes in order that you might comprehend what was going on around you, but in place of being enlightened by experience, you precipitate yourself blindly into the abyss. I will not suffer you to do so. You, the only one for whom I have cared for many years. You must not perish. No, you must not perish. But my kind friend, I am in no danger. Do you believe that I tell an untruth when I assure you by all that is sacred that I have respected my mother's wishes? I am not Anzaletto's wife, but I am his betrothed. And you were seeking this evening the man who may not and cannot be your husband. Who told you so? Would Korea ever permit him? Korea? 
What has he to say to Korea? We are but a few paces from this girl's abode. Do you seek your betrothed? If you have courage, you will find him there. No, no, a thousand times no, said Consuelo, tottering as she went and leaning for support against the wall. Let me live, my master. Do not kill me ere I have well begun to live. I told you that it was death to listen to you. You must drink of the cup, said the inexorable old man. I but fulfill your destiny. Having only realized ingratitude and consequently made the objects of my tenderness and attention unhappy, I must say the truth to those I love. It is the only thing a heart long withered and rendered callous by suffering and despair can do. I pity you, poor girl, in that you have not a friend more gentle and humane to sustain you in such a crisis. But such as I am, I must be. I must act upon others, if not as with the sun's genial heat, with the lightning's blasting power. So then, Consuelo, let there be no paltering between us. Come to this palace. You must surprise your faithless lover at the feet of the treacherous Correa. If you cannot walk, I must drag you along. If you cannot stand, I shall carry you. Ah, old Porpora is yet strong when the fire of divine anger burns in his heart. Mercy, mercy, exclaimed Consuelo, pale as death. Suffer me yet to doubt. Give me a day, were it but a single day, to believe in him. I am not prepared for this infliction. No, not a day, not a single hour, replied he inflexibly. Away, I shall not be able to recall the passing hour, to lay the truth open to you, and the faithless one will take advantage of the day which you ask to place you again under the dominion of falsehood. Come with me, I command you, I insist on it. Well, I will go, exclaimed Consuelo, regaining strength through a violent reaction of her love. I will go were only to demonstrate your injustice and the truth of my lover, for you deceive yourself unworthily, as you would also deceive me. Come then, executioner, as you are. I shall follow, for I do not fear you. Porpora took her at her word, and seizing her with a hand of iron, he conducted her to the mansion which he inhabited. Having passed through the corridors and mounted the stairs, they reached at last a terrace, whence they could distinguish over the roof of a lower building, completely uninhabited, the palace of Korea, entirely darkened with the exception of one lighted window, which opened upon the somber and silent front of the deserted house. Anyone at this window might suppose that no person could see them, for the balcony prevented anyone from seeing up from below. There was nothing level with it, and above nothing but the cornice of the house which Porpora inhabited, and which was not placed so as to command the palace of the singer. But Korea was ignorant that there was at the angle a projection covered with lead, a sort of recess concealed by a large chimney, where the maestro with artistic caprice came every evening to gaze at the stars, 
shun his fellows, and dream of sacred or dramatic subjects. Chance had thus revealed to him the intimacy of Anzaletto with Correa, and Consuelo had only to look in the direction pointed out to discover her lover in a tender tete-a-tete with her rival. She instantly turned away, and Poporo, who dreading the effects of the sight upon her, had held her with superhuman strength, led her to a lower story into his apartments, shutting the door and window to conceal the explosion which he anticipated. End of chapter 20